0: like you're worshiped? Yeah. i am like, man, that's good stuff today. I'm so glad that you are here. Um, I've got just a one thing that I want to talk about before I actually get rolling here. So uh, on the 21st, which is just two weeks away, uh, we're going to do baptism service. Um, we're really excited about it. We're going to do it at Ron and Peggy Marsh's, their pool. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while and we finally, I, I looked at the summer and I'm like, oh, it's 100 degrees. It's perfect time to go and have a baptism service. So anyway, the 21st, um, we're going to do this from 4 until 6 p.m. Um, we're going to do baptism first, and then we're going to have dinner together. Thrive's going to provide um, some food and some beverages, and so we want everyone to, to come. There's going to be some more information coming out about this uh, next week. Um, so watch your email, watch social media, that sort of thing. If you have any questions about that, or if you're interested in following Jesus and being baptized, um, connect with me. You can send me an email, grab me after church. I'd be delighted to talk to you about that. This is, uh, there are a couple of things that I really enjoy doing. One of which are weddings and the other one, I love baptisms. So it's a lot of fun to do these things. And, um, we want it to be a big celebration. So there'll be some registration coming out and, and that sort of thing. So um, keep on, on watching for that. But 4 to 6, uh, August the 21st, which is a Sunday afternoon. We thought about doing it a, bit, a little bit later, but then we realized that, oh, no, school started. So <laughs> we need to be watching things like uh, uh, bedtimes and whatnot. So 4 to 6 on the 21st. Uh, would love it if you want to participate in that. Uh, connect with me, and we'll um, we'll make sure that that happens. Okay, good deal. All right, so I'm back in our series um, uh, where we're spending the summer with King David, and um, we're going to return to Second Samuel chapter five. And I, <laughs> um, this is where David rumbles with the Philistines, and apparently the Lord is not done with this particular segment. And I think we're just going to wring a little bit more out of this. Out of, this, uh, out of this story. So, quick recap, just historically, so you know where we are in, in, the, uh, in the narrative. David is now king over a unified Israel after winning a civil war. He's captured Jerusalem and taken it as his capital. And now, here at the beginning, or at the uh, end of chapter 5, he faces an invasion from the west kind of the first, um, I would say, international test to his leadership. And that's where the story um, begins. And so I'm going to read the story. I'll make a couple little comments as we go along. And, and then I want to I offer a thought. That's where we're going. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Remember, this is a brilliant moment to attack, because anytime there's a transition in governmental leadership, things are unstable, and when they're unstable, then it's easy to exploit that instability. And you know, here you have the Philistines; they've already knocked off Saul and all of his his um, family for the most part, and so they figure that in a moment of instability, if we attack now, we can take. We can take out the next leader. And at at that point, it'd be kind of game over for Israel. And I think the Philistines knew that. At least that's my take on it. And last week, we talked about this idea that David went down to his stronghold. And it's there, when he's in his stronghold with his advisors, that he actually inquires of the Lord, makes his plans, and then mounts his offensive. And it's an important thing to remember that. And the real question, I think, for all of us is, where's your stronghold? You know, where is that place that you go when you know that you need some type of planning, when you need some type of connection with God? Where's your stronghold? Who is there with you? And that's what here at Thrive Church we call community. We want you to be in community with other people because God never intended for you to do this stuff alone. It's not who he created any of us to be. so where's your stronghold when life gets a little challenging? Verse 18, Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim, so David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? And the Lord answered him, Go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. A really interesting little verse. This is where, David inquired of the Lord. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and again, I I keep mentioning it because I think it's very important, um, that inquiring is not the same thing as praying about. These are two very different things. And the scripture is clear that we're supposed to make our requests to God. Yes, that's true. We ask the Lord to do things. But to inquire is 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 different. Inquire is not about asking God to do something. It's when you're going to do something and you want some guidance and direction. So think about that for a moment, is that if you've got some, some prayer time and you don't feel like you're getting your prayers answered, the question is, are you making a request or are you actually inquiring of the Lord? Because how you answer that question will determine how you pray. And it will determine the type of answers that you begin to look for. Now, very often when we when we start praying about something, we're making a request. We're asking God to move on behalf of, of ourselves or on behalf of someone else. But making an inquiry, the issue is what I am going to do. L- look at the, the, the verse again. David inqu- inquired of the Lord. Shall I go and attack? That question is, is very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That question is very direct in the sense this is my plan. I met with my advisors. I'm in my stronghold. I'm planning on doing this. Shall I go do this? That's a yes or no question. And then the second, I love because it sharpens it. Will you deliver them into my hands? Pretty important to know that. And the Lord answers him, of course. So if you're not getting answers um, for your own prayers, Ask yourself, are you making a request or are you making an inquiry? Because that that may change how you approach things. Verse 20. So David went to Baal-perazim and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal-perazim, which means the Lord of the breakthrough. That's what that term means. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. And I think this is a really important one because this is something we need to refer to from time to time. That the God of the breakthrough that David knew is the same God that you know. And some of us need breakthroughs. There happens in the course of our lives those moments when we need a breakthrough. And you know what? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so you can be of good courage... And you can be um, hopeful and expectant, because if he broke out against the Philistines, he can break out against whatever you got. So the place was called Baal Interesting, because David actually names the place because he saw what the Lord had done. He was he was uh, a faithful in that. And so now we get to the end of this little story, and i got to be honest, I didn't know that this little section was going to be so rich. There's a lot of things in here. And so let's read and see what the Lord has in mind for the very end here. Beginning with verse 22. Once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. Now apparently they hadn't had enough. They got whooped once, and now they're coming back for some more, right? Okay, I think it's a little, I think it's a little more complicated than that, but here we go. Um, there's no mention of the time frame between the two battles, between Baal Perizim and this one that's mentioned here. Now, my um, speculation is that this is related to verse 21 where it talked about how David and his men carried off their idols. They abandoned their idols on the field and so David and his men carried them off. I tried to make the point, and and I, I hope this was clear, that in the ancient world, you brought your deities to battle with you. And they were kind of like, almost like battle standards, right? You know, they got got everybody hyped up, and, and so when they went to war, and they got beat so soundly that they left the idols on the field and took off running. This is humiliating for an army. And there's this part of me that thinks that, the second battle was in order to save face from the first one. They got beat that badly. They're going to come back, and they're going to try to try to deal, deal with this um, again. Now, here's the other thing, though. Strategically speaking, now they've seen how David fights in this particular valley, so they go back, and I think that they're ready for however David chose to fight in that first battle. Does that make sense? Sometimes you kind of feel the enemy out a little bit, and yeah, you might get beat, but then you come back and you're, you're prepared for it and you, you, can, you can win the battle because you've strategized based on what you've seen from in the past. Football teams do this all the time. <clears throat> so keep that in mind. This is an idea to save face, but more importantly, from a strategic standpoint, they've now faced David once in the battle and they know how to handle him, or at least they think they do. Verse 23. So David inquired of the Lord and he answered, do not go straight up, which is what they did the first time. Remember, the Lord broke out, right? Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. These are really interesting because these instructions are very detailed. Now, I also want you to notice that throughout the Old Testament, um, Israel depended on a couple of things. One, they depended on on divine intervention. But they also would employ what we would call deceitful strategies. They they would do things, they they would trick the enemy. Now, this is really fascinating to me because I've I've been thinking about this for a long time because one of the things that the Lord told ancient Israel that they were not supposed to have were horses and chariots. They were like the tanks of the ancient world, the cavalry. You move quickly. Israel was supposed to have infantry. Why? Because if you have horses and cavalry and can move quickly, then you're not dependent on the Lord for your victory. Do you see? So God mentions to David, I want you to do it this way, this time. Because God was going to intervene on their behalf again, and this is how I want you to do it. Now, I don't know if they were facing, you know, chariots and cavalry. Very likely, probably the case. But you have a group of, of of people from the hill country, they're all infantry. They're going to need different strategy in order to win. So keep that in mind. There's a, there's a history that's going on here. This follows that tradition of deceptive tactics and divine intervention. And here's verse uh, 25. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. And so he wins. Again, whooped them again. Chased them off. Interesting, um, Gibeon is in the hills near Jerusalem and Gezer is almost to the coast. Literally chased them down the mountains. Literally took after them. Chased them all off. Almost to the coast. Now, we need to go to work. There's some, some things here that we need to kind of unpack a little bit in order to understand Remember, um, a couple of months ago when I was preaching about, about the Bible itself, there's three contexts that I always try to deal with. One is historical, the second is cultural, and the third is literary. Well, there's a literary thing that's going on here that I think we need to pay attention to. Um, I like the historical stuff, I love the cultural stuff, but the literary stuff is where we often find w- where God is, is lurking a little bit. And, and so I want to point this out to you. And I think this is interesting. I want you to notice something that's happening here. There are two battle stories and they're parallel to each other. There's two battle stories, right? There's the first one where they got beat and they left the the idols. Then there's the second one where they get chased down the mountain, right? So here we go. I want you to see this cuz I think this is important. Each story is constructed the same way. The Philistines invade that particular valley. David and God have a little conversation. And then the Philistines are defeated. Both stories constructed the exact same way. If you don't believe me, you can read it on your own this afternoon. So, keep that in mind. So, you've got these two things. Um, They invade the valley. You'll find that in verse 18 and 22. They talk, verses 19 and then 23 through 24. And then the Philistines are defeated, verse 21 and verse 25. So, they are parallel in form. Keep that in mind. There's a Major difference though, in the first battle, David's inquiry is emphasized. Remember, Lord, shall I go attack them and will you deliver them? There's a lot of that, uh, a lot of words related to his inquiry. And it's it's a very specific set of questions, and then God's answer is short. In the second battle, it's reversed. The inquiry is, just mention that, and David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, and then it's a long answer. Do you see? So we have parallel in form, but we have a difference in emphasis. The first one, the first one David's uh, inquiry is emphasized, and the second, the Lord's answer is emphasized. But these two verses are held in parallel to one another. Parallel in form, but different in, uh, um, in emphasis. And and so what was really kind of cool is that in the first one he says, I will deliver, and in the second one, here's what you're supposed to do. And believe me, out of the two of them, I really like the second one best personally. I love it when God gives detailed instructions about what to do. It makes life a whole lot easier. Then I don't have to second guess myself. But the point is, is that we see uh, both forms in, in each of these stories, now, we find many times uh, throughout the Old Testament where David makes an, an inquiry, and usually it's pretty short. Um, there's none of this, when, <laughs> when David's inquiring the Lord, there's none of this kind of, oh Lord, I beseech thee, all heavens and, and angels and so-and-so be praised, and we need, and there's, there's none of this long stuff that we ta- do you ever notice that sometimes when you're praying, you just add some filler? Does this ever happened to you? I do this too. But David's very clear. Shall I go do this? And will you deliver them? It's really simple. It's very minimalist. Let's call it that. It's kind of cool. But that's typically how David answers. And oftentimes, the Lord gives a short answer. Very often. Yeah, go ahead, do it, and I will deliver them. And then from time to time, it gets a little bit different. where he gets more detailed instructions. Now please understand, that type of relationship that, that David has with God developed over a period of time. It didn't just happen overnight. And sometimes I think that's what we want. Sometimes you've got to go through the phase of, oh, Lord, I beseech thee, in order to understand that he doesn't necessarily need all the filler. But that's okay, because God will meet us where we are and, 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 and take us on that particular journey. And you need time in order to develop that. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, a friend of mine pastors a church in Florida, and he was talking about um, a guy in his church who um, was really struggling with hearing the Lord. And, and I think we all do this from time to time. Some of you may have heard the story, but what'll happen is I, it, we, we tend to look at a uh, use a journal to help us um, uh, make inquiry and to, to interact with God. And so this guy had just kind of started that process and he really couldn't hear God's voice and wasn't really sure what to do. He was kind of grousing a little bit about it. And, and so finally they just said, you know, Why don't you just spend as much time as you need just to sit and listen to God? And so he committed to do that. And the story goes, it took him 60 days before he actually heard God begin to speak to him. Now there's a couple things I want to say about that. First of all, your mileage might vary. Just because it took somebody 60 days doesn't necessarily mean it's going to take you 60 days. But what a beautiful picture of somebody willing to spend that time with God just to say, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say. And when he did speak, he spoke big and he wrote it in his journal so that he would remember it. And he has a reference point for that for the rest of his life. And the other beautiful thing is that now that story is told in other churches. You can have hope The Lord is going to speak to you. Might take 60 days. Maybe, maybe not. But the point is, God does want to speak to you. And He wants to develop that kind of relationship with you where you can actually hear what He has to say. So keep that in mind. Now, whenever you see parallels like this, battle one, battle two, and we notice the differences parallel in form, different in emphasis you always have to ask the question, why? Because the thing to remember is that the author did this for a reason. There is an author here. There is somebody who's actually writing this stuff down, and they are trying to communicate certain things to the reader. Now, did the writer of this at that particular time know that, you know, three, four thousand years later, we were going to be reading this? Probably not, but that doesn't mean that that writer didn't have an intent. And so there's a reason why the author did this. There might be a couple of reasons. The first reason, I think, that you have these two parallel um, passages is that it stands in stark contrast to the previous king, Saul, who got into a lot of trouble through his impatience, through his inability to follow through on what God asked him to do. And so here we have... David inquiring of the Lord, doing as the Lord um, commands, and seeing victory for it, very different than what we read about about King Saul. So I think that's the first one. But secondly, at the same time, I suspect the Philistines were uh, prepared for the strategy David used the the first time. I said this uh, just previously. So God gave them a different strategy, one that Israel needed in order to win. So the first battle, David inquires with two questions. God agrees to, to the victory, and David gives him credit for it. This is really important. So as you know, his forces break through, he says this is who God is. This is the God of the breakthrough. He actually names a particular place for God in that particular moment. This is what I see. I'm going to testify to what God did in this particular place because he's God and I asked him and he said yes and so he delivered. Will you deliver? Yes, he delivered and so David names the location after him. The second battle, David inquires and God gives an exact strategy. There's this major victory. It's even bigger because before they just let him go and they abandoned the idols and they took the idols and now, no, they chased him all the way down. I mean, we're talking about miles they chased him down off of the mountain. This is a bigger, vi- this is a decisive victory. The Philistines aren't going to be knocking on the door anytime soon. Talk about letting the big dogs out, right? So keep this in mind, that there's this, this other thing that's going on here. It's not just keeping shame on Saul, because I don't think that's really what's happening. But what surfaces from these two points is is very simple, a very simple idea. And the bottom line here is David was trustworthy. I think that's what the author's trying to tell us is that David was trustworthy in all of this. And there's a lesson here. And it seems to me that as we grow in our relationship with God, we receive more from him. You know, in the first first inquiry, it's very simple. Answer, yes, I will deliver them. In the second one, after David had proven himself trustworthy, he got a little bit more. Remember, David is a man after God's own heart, and we know that that is a little idiom that means that he was loyal. Well, of course, he's loyal. He demonstrates his loyalty once again by naming the location after God himself, after what he's done. He's loyal. And then he, again, he's loyal afterwards simply by following what God asked him to do. And he says, and David did as, as God commanded and there was a great victory that followed. Surprise, surprise, right? And so I think that, that this trustworthiness is a big deal and I think there's a lesson for us that as we grow in our relationship with God and we, we prove ourselves to be trustworthy, God gives us a little more. Now here's the thing, Jesus talked about this too. He did it in a parable and you know this parable. So the man goes on a long trip. He's a wealthy man and he's got some servants and he entrusts bags of gold to his servants. To one servant, he gave five bags. To another, he gave two bags. And to a third, he gave one bag. You know this story, right? And upon his return, after his long journey, he comes back. The guy who had five bags of gold got five more. I don't know about you, but I'll take 100% return. I like that ROI. I mean, I really do. And then the next guy had two, and he got two more. Again, love that ROI. The third guy walks up with his single bag, and he says, there, I didn't lose it. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, I guess. But there's a certain amount of disappointment that they were supposed to do something with what they had. He hadn't been productive with what he had received even though it was a single bag. Each servant who made a gain, who got a return on the investment, were told, well done, good and faithful servant. Here it is. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. By the way, the word faithfulness here can be equally translated as trustworthy. So we talk about faithfulness in kind of a spiritual sense and trustworthy, you know, in our our kind of modern language means um, not necessarily spiritual but interpersonal. But the word here in Greek is the same. Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy with a few. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness, which, I don't know, I probably read that parable, I don't know, dozens and dozens of times, and I really like this idea, and come share your master's happiness. Missed that somewhere along the line. Probably gonna have to study that. Try to understand it a little bit more. Because when you're trustworthy, you can share in God's happiness. Because that's who he created you to be. And he's excited about that when you demonstrate those things, when you're in that relationship with him. I want to be trustworthy. I've been thinking about how faithful um, I am personally in the things that I have, how I'm stewarding things. You know, certainly he's deposited certain gifts and talents and graces and those types of things in my life. Am I stewarding those well? Well, Plus, he's put a call on my life. Am I stewarding my call? Am I I doing that faithfully? And of course, I have an assignment. I'm assigned to be a a husband and a father and a pastor. Am I stewarding that well? Can Can I be trustworthy in all of those things too? In fact, those are the things, I don't know. It seems to me that oftentimes when we're thinking about faithfulness and trustworthiness, we tend to talk about money, don't we? but there's a whole lot more to it. Are we being trustworthy in the relationships and in the things, other things that God has given us too? I, I want to be told well done, good and trustworthy servant. And I suspect that you do too. On Family Sunday, we, um, we do this thing called communion. And uh, if, if you don't have one of the little cups, um, Dwayne would be happy to pass one out to you. But I was thinking about this because um, if you're going to be trustworthy, you need to hear what God has to say to you. Now, you want to develop that relationship, but here's the thing. Jesus himself gave us this ancient ritual so that we might be able to connect with him. I think that shows us that he wants to connect with us. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given us the, the ritual. And as I think about this a little bit more, this is an opportunity to be very thankful for what God has given us. Certainly, salvation, certainly, eternal life, but how about all of the gifts and And things that he's deposited into your heart and into your your personality. And and so what I want you to do today is when we're we're taking communion together, I want you to ask yourself, and I and I want to be real careful about this, but I want you to ask yourself. And I want you to ask God, God, am I trustworthy? Am I faithful? Now that is a dangerous question because that's when the enemy can slip in and the voice of shame can whisper in your ear and I'll tell you I'm not good enough I'm not I'm not strong enough I'm not fast enough I'm not you know whatever. But at the same time, if you really push past that and you listen to what the Father has to say, He'll tell you. And in my experience, um, God never makes me feel bad about stuff. Paul writes about this. He says, "Um, therefore now there is no condemnation in Christ. And I find very often when there are things that I'm proving not to be trustworthy on, God steps up next to me, puts his hand on my shoulder, and he says, oh, I've got so much more for you. Let me show you a better way. He's gentle, and he's kind, and oh my gosh, I need that. So when you're taking communion today, be very, very careful of the voice of shame. But ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to help you be more trustworthy, to be more faithful to the things that he has given you. And then, count your blessings. Count the things that you have been given. And if you can't come up with any, come talk to me and and I'll tell you. At the very least, my question is, are you breathing? That's a gift that we all have. Start there. Start with the little things. It is really hard to be sour and discontented and dissatisfied when when you're grateful for what you do have. In fact, I think, I think it's when we start wishing for something that we don't that we get into trouble. So God, I want to be trustworthy and faithful for what You have given me. Can I tell you a story? This morning I woke up, <coughs> my brain was a little sleep soaked, and I went off to the um, um, coffee shop to go pick up um, bagels and then my own coffee because. You need me caffeinated. I need me caffeinated. And, and so I'm driving here, and I was, I was thinking about some things, and I realized that I was feeling down. I'm like, this is Sunday. This is the day the Lord has made. What is going on with me? Why, why so downcast, oh, my soul? And I realized that the things I had been thinking about, even the things that I had journaled about, had to do with stuff I didn't have. Stuff that I wished for. And so I just started and I said, hey God, thanks that I've got a roof over my head. I got a wife who loves me and I got great kids and I got a cool church family. And you know what? I started feeling a little bit better. I know that sounds simple and I know it may even sound a little silly, but I double dog dare you to try it. When you're feeling that way and you catch yourself, be trustworthy with what you do have and be grateful. Maybe we could say this. The trustworthiness starts with gratitude. Whew, I gotta think about that one. Dan's gonna come up and um, we're, gonna, we're gonna sing. And... Um, in the Church of God, um, here at Thrive, we have what's called an open table. That means if you're a follower of Jesus, um, we invite you to be part of this with us. This is for you. This is for all of us. You're part of our church family. I love this ritual because it connects us not only with the history of the church. Remember, Jesus did this. But it also connects us to brothers and sisters worldwide. There's people all over the planet that's, that are doing this. And I just find that incredibly cool. And so we have this open table. Now look, if you're not a follower of Jesus, just let it pass by. Nobody's going to look at you funny. There's some evidence to suggest that it's detrimental to you if, if you try to take communion and you're not a follower of Jesus. But if you are, this is, this is for you. This is for all of us to commune with our, our God and our Father. A chance to r- kind of reestablish the relationship again. That's what it's here for. So the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, a very common element on a table. and He broke it after he had given thanks. He passed it to his disciples and said, take and eat it, and when you do, I want you to remember me. They didn't understand what was happening. Of course they didn't. And then after the supper, he took a cup. Again, very common element sitting on the table. After he'd given thanks, he passed it to his disciples. Take and drink, and every time you do, I want you to remember me. Again, they didn't understand. But then there was that moment after the resurrection where the lights go on. Oh, this is what he meant. And so we do that. We take and we eat, and then we drink. And remember what he did for us, and we are grateful. And that's the first step in being faithful and trustworthy. So as we sing, you can take communion anytime you want. We want it to be meaningful for you. This is between you and your God, you and your family, if you so choose. However you want to do it is okay with us. We just want it to be that moment where you can reconnect to a God who loves you so deeply and has given you so much. And here's the best part. He can't wait to show you what to do with what he's given you. God, I'm thankful for these ancient words, this ancient story that is so rich with meaning and lessons for us to to think about, to take to heart, to learn more about you and your nature and your character. You're so good to us. You're just so good. You're just good. You're just good. I declare that out loud that you are good. Nothing is impossible with you. You settled everything at the cross and for whatever reason, you choose us to be a part of the things that, that you wanna do. And as we sing and as we take communion, Holy Spirit, Not only are you welcome here, you are expected here because it's your church. And I'm so grateful for these people who choose to spend time with us, whether they're here um, live or if they're online. I'm so glad that you can be everywhere all at the same time. So God, would you make your presence known to us, Holy Spirit? Do the work that only you can do. And we're going to thank you in advance for all you're going to do today. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs)